0: If you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it and turn to Philippians chapter one. We are in week one of a series that we're calling Go Together. Now, this is a church-wide study. All of our D groups, uh, our women's ministry, our men's ministry, our student ministry, we're all gonna be studying and focusing on the same passages of Scripture for for these seven weeks. And we're so excited about that. Uh, This is not something we normally do. Uh, but uh, we do it every few years and uh, it's just a great way to bring the church together to really focus. And in particular, what we're going to be learning about is really what it means to be the church, uh, to belong to one another, to grow uh, together as a church family and to go beyond uh, together as a church family. So we're excited that you're part of it. And I just want to ask you to be present here uh, every single week if you can, if, if you can't, to be dialed in online, and then to really participate in your small group uh, throughout the study. I think you'll experience Jesus and uh, community in a whole new way because you did. So now, as we begin this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so about 2000 years ago, the apostle Paul walked into the city of Philippi for the very first time and philippi was not a very large city but it was a very influential city simply because of where it was located it was located on what is called the via ignacia which is kind of like the interstate highway that connects europe with asia And so Philippi was a a major trading center. Uh, It was a place where a lot of people were doing business. It was a very prosperous city as well. And because of its location on this highway, it really made it a gateway city. And its population was very ethnically diverse and the population was also very transient. Now, Philippi also had its share of problems. There was racial strife uh, within the city because there wasn't a dominant ethnicity at the time. And and so there was also economic oppression and a tremendous amount of spiritual confusion within the city as well. So uh, there's not a single Christian in the entire city of Philippi before Paul uh, arrives there. And so you can read more about Paul's journey to uh, Philippians and his mission there. In Acts chapter 16, which is an interesting story because you see uh, a number of conversions that really form this Philippian church. So you see the story of Lydia, who's a professional businesswoman. She commits her life to Christ and and her entire family follows her. And then a demon possessed slave girl commits her life to Christ. And then the Philippian jailer, who is a Gentile, uh, commits his life to Christ and his entire family. And I think what's interesting about this is these are the first members of the Philippian church. So Paul takes these folks and their families and he plants a church in the city of Philippi. And, uh, this is, this is very significant because what you have is the very first members of the church, uh, a woman, uh, a slave, and then a Gentile. And what's interesting about this is your average Jewish man would pray a prayer every single day, a prayer of thanksgiving to God, and the prayer would go like this. I'm not making this up, but the prayer would go like this. God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a Gentile. Now that's really interesting. And what we see here is just the irony of God starting his church, starting a movement. He is building a healing community called the church, and he does it by, bu- by bringing into the fellowship a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. And I think that is uh, God's sense of humor. And I think it is, it is really God saying, I'm gonna absolutely blow up the sinful societal norms that kind of ruled uh, culture in that day. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Now, as you might imagine, it was, it was pretty challenging to be a Christian in the city of Philippi at this time. So the Roman religion was a paganistic religion, it was uh, uh, somewhat of a polytheistic religion. And so the Romans really had a lot of tolerance for people who uh, worshiped in other religions, but they did have a, have a couple of caveats. They, they basically made a stipulation that said, you couldn't say that your God was the only God, and you also had to worship the emperor. And so the Philippian Christians obviously believed that Jesus was the only God, that he's the only way to salvation. And the Philippian Christians refused to worship uh, the emperor uh, of Rome. And so this made them stick out like a Purdue bumper sticker uh, in the middle of Bloomington. It just just didn't fit. So uh, so they quickly became branded as enemies of the empire in the city of Philippi. And so a part of what's going on in the cultural context or these Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to write to just simply encourage them because he knows that they're struggling, they're battling uh, discouragement, and he wants to just lift them up. And that's exactly what he does. And so he writes this letter to the Philippians to simply to build them up and to encourage them, which which leads us to another interesting side note, if you've been in church, you probably already know this, uh, but Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian Christians from prison himself. So he is literally in chains and he is awaiting uh, possible execution of his very life. He could die at any moment. And what is interesting about that, he is writing to encourage them. And so as you read through this letter, you really begin to to feel the tone of this letter is just filled with joy and contentment. Uh, Paul is very much at peace in the middle of his circumstances, which really make uh, this letter even more remarkable when you consider what he is going through as he's writing it. Now, there's two couple of there are two themes that I really want to highlight for us, and the first one is this, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly. But as we kind of think about the themes of this letter, the first theme that really pops out through all four chapters is to live as Christ. And you really see this in chapter one, verse 21, where the apostle Paul says it just like that. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so what the apostle Paul is talking about is just the greatness of knowing Jesus as savior. He's just talking about the joy of walking with Jesus and knowing him and living for him. Church, what he's not talking about is adding some spiritual components in your walk with God. Like he's not talking about how you need to pray more and how you need to give more and how you need to serve more in the church and how you need to read the Bible more. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about in this letter, all of the things that you need to do to fulfill your spiritual duty. What he's talking about here is delight, delighting in Jesus. And what Paul basically says, is, for me, to live is Christ. For me, Christ is everything. Christ is the only thing that satisfies. Now, let's think about that for a moment. You know, all of us have something by which we say, to live is blank. You know, all of us have that one something that we're kind of pursuing that we say, to live is, and you fill in the blank. You know, for some people, to live is to be, to have a good marriage or for some people to live is to climb the corporate ladder or to live is to have have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to be in love or uh, to live is to be really popular at school or to be the star athlete on the football team. What is that one thing for you that you really believe that if you could just catch it, if you could just apprehend it, then you'll be happy and then you'll be satisfied? How would you fill in the blank to the phrase to live is blank? You see, the reality is if you were actually able to apprehend what you're chasing, you would begin to find that as soon as you apprehend it, you would begin to fear losing it. And then you would find as you apprehend it, that it really doesn't satisfy you like you thought that it would. It's kind of like what the comedian Jim Carrey says, he says this, he says, I wish everybody could be rich and famous and have everything that they, they want so that they could realize that that's not the answer. See, it's interesting that even a non-Christian like Jim Carrey can figure out that there's really nothing in this world that can satisfy us. And so what Paul is saying in this letter is that he has found something that satisfies and his name is Jesus. What Paul is talking about in this letter is there's nothing better than knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus every single day. In fact, what the apostle Paul says in this letter is that what he has found in Christ is so amazing and so incredible that even death can't take it away. Because what Paul says in verse 21 is this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's, that is so interesting that what he has found is a personal relationship with Jesus that is the desire of our hearts. And that is what Paul has found. Now it's even more interesting when you consider in chapter three that Paul outlines all of these things that he has experienced in life. He has had power. He has had prestige. He has had position. He has pedigree and he has religious performance. And what the apostle Paul says is this. He says, I consider all of that a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. So what he's talking about here is the greatness of knowing and walking with Jesus. Now, the other theme that I want us to look at, and this is the theme that I really want us to kind of drill down on today is this, that we are very simply better together that we are created for community, that we are wired for relationships, that we were made to be with each other. I think as you begin to dig into this letter to the Philippians, you're going to notice how affectionate and expressive he is in this letter, unlike any other letter that we have in the New Testament. It's obviously, to me, it is obvious that uh, he has relationships with these folks that are on a whole different level than any other uh, relationships he had in another church. I mean, it, in other words, it really really feels like that these are his peeps. These are his people. And he's got relationships with them that are on a level that, uh, that he has at no other church. And so uh, in just a minute, I want us to take a minute and just read through this passage of Scripture. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and I want you to notice just how expressive he is in in his writing. So if you're willing and able, let's stand together as we read the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God and you may be seated. Now, I think what we see in this passage, really three reasons why we need each other or three reasons why we are better together. Let me give you the first one. You see, going together produces joy. That's why we need each other. Going together produces joy. Look with me again at verses three, four, and five, and notice what he says. He says, I thank God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. And so then he talks about because of their partnership, their koinonia, their fellowship uh, in the gospel that they had from the very first day, even to the present day. Now, what I love about that is is what he's talking about is this. Every time I think of you, I just thank God for you. And every time I pray with pray for you, I pray with joy. Joy wells up within me because of your partnership in the gospel. And so what the Apostle Paul really is talking about here is a byproduct of Christian community is joy. It's joy. That's the byproduct. When the body of Christ comes together, the end result of that is joy. Now, as Americans, we have this tendency to idolize independence. And I think it comes from the Declaration of Independence, I think it comes from just uh, the belief in the American dream. And it really feeds this, this false narrative that basically says, I can be happy by myself, that I don't need anybody else in my life. I don't need to take relational risks. I don't need to have other people in my life. I need to keep, I can keep people at a distance and I can, I can be relationally independent and I can be financially independent and I can be spiritually independent and be just as happy by myself. And so really that's a myth. That's what we see all the way through scripture because what we see in the United States is really the suicide rate really begins, ha- continues to rise. And so the Bible tells us that the key to happiness, the key to joy is not independence, but interdependence. And the picture that the scripture paints is one not of self-centered kind of isolation, but of real authentic community. That it's the heart of God for you to be a vital member of a local body. That's what we see in scripture. Now, let me just, Let me just give you a couple of reasons why uh, you need a church family, why you need to be in a a D group or a, a women's study or a men's study, why you need to experience community in this way. Let me give you just two reasons. First of all, I really need other people to walk with me. I need other people to walk with me. Now, let me show you this from Colossians 2, 6 and 7. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And he says, therefore, As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, he says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. And so what's interesting here is the Bible compares life to a walk. You ever notice that? How the Bible uses this metaphor for life uh, as like a walk, And I think the reason for that is because life is a journey. You're never just sitting still or standing still. You're always moving. Now, just think about where you are right now. Think about where you are right now in 2020. You are not where you used to be. You're not where you used to be. And as you think about where you are right now, you are not where you're going to be. You are on a journey. And so the Bible recognizes this truth that we are constantly moving, we're constantly on a journey and it likens this journey to a walk. That's why we see so many examples in scripture where we're commanded to walk in the light or walk in the truth or to walk in love or to walk in wisdom or to walk in obedience, or to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You see it all over the place. Now, here's here's the key truth I I don't want you to miss. You can't walk it alone. You just can't do it. You need other people to walk with you. And when you have other people to walk with you, it is always the experience of joy that you feel and see. Now, church, let me just say that I'm not talking about you know, if you're single, you need to get married. That's that's not, I'm not talking about marriage or singleness here because even married people need other people to walk with them. You see, what I'm talking about is a God-centered community and, and He created us for community and in need of community. And we can't walk this life, this journey by ourselves. We really need each other. And the reason why I think first of all is because it's just safer. It's a lot safer to have other people walking with us. Have you ever had the opportunity to walk down a a country road late at night by yourself? It can be pretty scary. Or have you ever been in an alley downtown Indianapolis uh, at night by yourself? Certainly that can be scary. But if you had your people around you, if you had your peeps around you walking down that country road or in that alley, you wouldn't be scared at all. You'd be having fun. Why? Because it's always more fun when there's other people around, when you've got community, you got people that care about you walking with you. See, it's just a lot safer when life becomes scary to have other people with you. It's also just just supportive. It's more supportive. You know, Pretty soon as the seasons change from summer to fall, we're gonna start seeing uh, geese flying south for the winter and they're gonna be in this V formation and uh, I don't know if you know why they fly in the V formation. It's not only because it looks cool, but they have a very specific purpose for that. And the reason why they fly in a V formation is because it creates uh, an updrift in the backdraft. And so it allows those geese to fly faster and farther than if they were flying by themselves. In other words, they're able to support each other in their flight south. And I think that's a great parable uh, for what God intends for community within the church. We We need other people to walk with us and that results in having great joy. But here's probably the biggest reason why we need other people in our life. We need other people to wait and weep with us. You see, we not only need people to walk with us, but we need other people to wait and weep with us. Now, what do I mean by wait and weep? There are going to be times, church, in your life when you're going to be waiting for bad news. You should never wait alone. And there are going to be times when you receive that bad news and you're going to weep. You should never, you should never weep alone. There are circumstances in your life that you should never walk through alone. You're in the waiting room in the hospital and there's a loved one that is going through a life or death surgery. You should never be alone in that circumstance or situation. You are experiencing a a problematic pregnancy and you're awaiting lab results back. And and as a woman, you should never be waiting alone. Or you're at the graveside of a family member or a close friend who's passed away. In that circumstance, you should never be alone. And the truth is this, we're all going to go through those circumstances. There are going to be times in your life when you receive bad health news or you walk through a personal tragedy or loss or you're given the news that one day you're going to die. And that, that day is coming soon. And in those circumstances, what do you need more than anything else? You need community. You need other people around you. You need other people to wait and weep with you. See, only a fool would go through life completely unprepared for what you know is inevitable and is going to happen. You see, we are going to experience those things. And so God's answer to that, God's antidote for that, God's remedy for that is the body of Christ. It's called Christian community. Let me show you a verse in Psalms. It's Psalm 34, verse 18. And the psalmist writes this. He says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking how is it that the Lord is near the brokenhearted? How does he do that? How is he near the brokenhearted? Well, I will tell I'll tell you how he's near the brokenhearted. He is near the brokenhearted through his people gathered around the brokenhearted person. You see, God lives and dwells in every single Christian. And so when Christians gather around someone who's weeping, who's brokenhearted, there is something that comes through that. And what is that something? That something is the presence of God. And so the comfort of God, the spirit of God, the very presence of God is conveyed to that brokenhearted person in that moment. And in that moment, there's encouragement. And in that moment, there's sorrow, but there's also joy of knowing that I'm loved and there are other people walking with me through this. You know, I experienced this firsthand a few years ago when my dad passed away and, and then almost a year later to the day, my mother passed away. And as I was walking through this, uh, just in my own life, I experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the comfort of the presence of God conveyed through so many of you who reached out to to let me know that you were praying for me and thinking about me during this loss. And so it's in that, that we really need community. And what's amazing is as we, as we have people to walk with us through the journey of life, as we have people to, to wait and weep with us, there's joy in the midst of that, even in circumstances that are difficult. So who is it that you have in your life that's walking with you? Who is it in your life that will wait and weep with you? You need community. You need someone who's going with you because going together, produces joy, but there's a second benefit or a second reason why we need each other. And that is this, that going together reveals the grace of God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look with me at verse six, back in Philippians one. And so we see that Paul's writing and he says to them, I am sure of this. He says in verse six, he's absolutely confident. He said, I'm betting the farm on this, that he who began a good work in you. So he's recalling the beginning of a good work that God started in them. And you you might ask, well, what's that good work? Well, that good work is salvation. And interestingly enough, Paul is responsible for the salvation of so many of the folks in in this church. So he says, he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is absolutely confident of that. He is absolutely sure of that. Now, that is a tremendous promise that he gives to the to the Christians in Philippi. It's an encouraging promise. But here's here's the question that I have. What was the basis of his confidence? Why did he know that so sure that God was going to finish the good work that he started in them? Is it because of the the moral purity of the Philippian Christians? Is it because you know they kind of had their spiritual life all together and they're just kind of spiritually elite and so his confidence is in them because their commitment is so high? I really don't think that's what it was. I think what you see here is that his confidence is in the grace of God. In fact, he tells us that in verse 7 because he says this, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. You see, his confidence is not really in them as much as it is in the grace of God. You see, he's talking about grace as the unmerited favor of God, the blessing of God, the the kiss of God on your life. And what he's saying is, you guys are all co-partners with me uh, in in the grace of God. Now, think think about what a partnership is. If you were to start a business with someone, you were to form a business partnership with someone else, what you would be doing is you would pull your your resources, your your capital, your your skills, talents and ability and knowledge, and, and you would pull it together for the sake of a goal, you know, of making money. And that's a business partnership. What he's talking about here is not a business partnership, but he's really talking about a spiritual partnership. And he's really alluding to the origin, the foundation and the purpose of this partnership. And that origin and that foundation and that purpose and basis is the grace of God. In other words, you're taking, you know, so many people that are, have so many things not in common. You've got a professional woman and you've got a slave girl and then a Gentile Philippian jailer. And you got their families from so many different experiences and walks of life. But yet they have one thing in common. They are saved by grace through faith. And when you have that in common, church, you have everything in common. See, think about what, what's gonna make heaven heaven is a lot of things, but, but one of the main things that's gonna make heaven so amazing is we're gonna be in community in heaven and we'll no longer compare ourselves to one another. You know you know how we have this tendency to kind of do that mentally where we we're 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 kind of evaluating other people against ourselves and some people we feel inferior to in certain ways and other people we feel superior to and we're just constantly doing that. And the reality is, is in heaven we're no longer going to be comparing ourselves anymore. Because in heaven the only thing we're going to be boasting in is in the grace of Jesus Christ. In heaven, we're going to have the knowledge and the awareness and reality that none of us should even be here in the first place were it not for the grace of God. And so the one thing that we have in common that that levels the field, that that really levels the ground is the fact that Jesus saved us. And we didn't deserve to be saved, but we received the gift of God. And that is just a beautiful thing. And that's really the foundation of our fellowship with one another. That's what unites us as, as a church family more than anything else. You know, we're really living uh, in interesting days. And this year we've, we've seen really uh, the emergence of what is called cancel culture in our, in our society today. And cancel culture is really when uh, a celebrity or a politician or someone in the public sphere does something or says something that uh, creates a call from someone else to, you know, for everybody to kind of withdraw from that person. So you just kind of withdraw from them and abandon them. And in so doing, you just kind of ship them off to the outer rim. And that's what's called cancel culture. And I think what the apostle Paul is talking about here is not cancel culture. He's talking about grace culture. He's talking about the kind of community that they get it. They love each other. And they love each other in the midst of their weaknesses, in the midst of their frailties and their struggles, and even they love each other in the midst of their sins. And what they do is instead of canceling each other, they support one another, they encourage one another, they love one another. You know, the Bible says over and over that we need to be encouraging one another. And that word encourage literally means the way it sounds. When you encourage someone, you literally put courage in them. You fill them with faith. And I think what the apostle Paul is doing here is he is encouraging them. He is saying to them, guys, I know you're struggling a little bit, but the good work that God started in you, he's going to carry it to completion. He's going to get you through what you're going through. You're going to make it. You're going to overcome this by the grace of God. And that's the kind of community we want to be here at Stones. That's the kind of community we want in every D group, every Bible study, in our youth group, in our children's ministry. We want grace culture to pervade every single relationship uh, in our church family. You know, I'm, I'm learning this uh, firsthand what it means to really encourage and, and really what encouragement is and the power of encouragement. Uh, for the last couple of months, I've been uh, doing a, a, an exercise a program called CrossFit. And CrossFit involves a, a number of different types of Olympic weightlifting lifts. And these lifts are very technical and they're very difficult. And so even without any weight on the bar, uh, these lifts are very, very challenging to do. And frankly, church, I'm really bad at these lifts. Like I totally stink. I've been doing this 10 weeks and I'm still bad at it. They should kick me out of the gym because I'm just not good at it. But I've got a great coach and her name is Jen. And what she does is she encourages me. And there are times when I'm working out really hard and I'm trying really hard and I'm trying to figure out how to do the lift. And I'm just terrible at it. And I don't even I I don't even want to do it anymore. I've kind of given up. I've kind of given up faith that I can even do it anymore. And what Jen will do is she'll come up to me and say, Scott, you got this. You can do it. You're doing great. You're making so much progress. And what I find is I'm feeding off her faith in me. I'm feeding off the courage that she puts inside of me. And I'm able to keep going and keep trying and keep working on it. And I think that's exactly what we need in the body of Christ. That's exactly what we need in the church today. That's what Go Together is all about. It's an opportunity to reveal God's grace to one another. So you, you lose your patience with the kids again. And you're talking to one of your friends and you just confess your struggle to them. And your friend says, hey, you know what? God's working in this. You're growing. You're making progress. And with God's help, you can do it. Or you've got an accountability partner for your computer software and you look at something you shouldn't look at. And so you you confess that to your, to your friend and they encourage you and they say, you know what? What you need is to lean on the grace of God. Don't give up the battle. You can do this with God's help. You see, we all need that. And that's how, that's how we're better together. Because together, God's grace is revealed in this journey of life. But there's still one more. And that is this that going together advances God's mission going together advances God's mission. Let me just show you this in verse seven, uh, where the apostle Paul says this. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for your partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. So what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, you guys, you guys are partners with me, not only helping me as I'm imprisoned, but you're also helping me to spread the gospel in the defense and the confirming and the spreading of the gospel. You guys are partners with me in this. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't share this calling alone. I don't share this burden alone. You guys share it with me you share the heaviness of this and the joy of it at the same time. And I think a lot of us as Christians today, we have this mindset when we talk about sharing our faith or sharing Christ with a non-Christian, we kind of immediately think, well that's not for me. You know, I can't do that because I don't have the book of Leviticus memorized and you know, I haven't I don't know theology very well, so I could never answer a question if if they ask me one. And so, I'm just going to really try to be a silent witness. And I'm going to let the spiritual elite handle that. I'm going to let the pastors and the elders and the church leaders do that, but I can't be a witness. And church, here's what I'm I want to I want you to get today. That is, that is not God's call for a Christian. God's call is for every single one of us to be a light, to be salt in a in a in a in a world that needs flavor. And and God has called you to share your faith in Christ. And um, and the reality is, is you have a story of how God has worked in your life. You have a story of the difference that God's grace has made in your heart and your mind. And what you need to do is you need to share that story. You see, a lot of us don't want to share our story because we think we don't have a dramatic conversion story of how we came to Christ and how, you know, I used to be a serial killer, but, but, I, but somebody shared the gospel with me and I gave my life to Christ and I lived happily ever after. And so, so we don't have a story like that. And so what we do is, you know, our story is, well, I gave my life to Christ when I was 10 years old and my parents led me to Christ. I've been following Jesus ever since. And we kind of curse our story. And I just want to tell you, man, praise God that you got saved when you were 10 years old in your home and your parents led you to Christ. Praise God that you didn't have to get to the bottom of the barrel before you started looking up. Praise God for what he did in your life. What you need to do is share your story. Because no one can refute the story of what God has done in your life. Now, I know, you know, I know when I'm talking about this, you're kind of pushing back and say, saying, Scott, I just can't do it. I'm kind of an introvert. I don't like talking about these kind of things. Well, let me let me just tell you how you can get started. Very simply, a great way to be a witness, a great way to advance the mission of God is just loving your church family. Just loving the people in your D group, loving the people on your ministry team, loving the people in your church family is a great way to advance the mission of God. It's, it's a great start. Let me show you what I mean by uh, why it's a great first step or beginning. Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, by this, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So a great way to advance the mission of God is just by all of us loving each other as the family of God so that we love each other in such a way where a non-Christian world looks at that and says, my, oh my, how those Christians love one another. And so a great way to begin to be a witness, a great way to advance the mission of God and get the gospel out is through our church, every single person in our church, loving one another. That's the great way to do that. You know, I'm not really interested in our church being known because, because of our sermons or because of our music or because of our facility. I want us to be known in the community because of our love for one another. And I want to challenge you to do that. And you can do that by getting in community, getting involved in people's lives and showing them the love of Christ. Let me give you another opportunity that'll really help you get a, be a part of the mission of God for our church. This coming October in just a few weeks, we're all as a church family gonna be involved in something that we're calling Pray and Go. And Pray and Go is really simple. We're gonna ask everybody in our church to do a prayer walk in their neighborhood. And the prayer walk will go just like this. You stop it right in front of your neighbor's house, just right on the sidewalk. You take 30 seconds and you pray for that neighbor. You pray for God's blessing. You pray for salvation to come to that house. And as soon as that 30 seconds is over, you head up to the front door and you don't even have to ring the doorbell if you don't want, but you hang a door hanger on their front door that says, we prayed for you today. Now we're asking everybody in our church to do this. And our goal is by the end of October that we would have have prayed for 4,000 homes in central Indiana. And we want you to be a part of it. And so this is a great way. Maybe you don't have the book of Leviticus memorized. Maybe you don't understand theology, but you can pray for your neighbor and you can hang a door hanger on the front door. And what that means is you can be a part of the mission of God. Let me close with this. Here's why. Here is why we are better together. Ultimately, this is the reason. You know, Jesus did pray and go 2,000 years ago himself. On a Thursday night late, in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, he got on his knees and he said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. See, that was his prayer. And then the scripture tells us, it paints the picture of the very next day, Jesus going to the cross and not just going to the cross, but praying for us on that cross. And so Jesus Jesus prayed and Jesus went to the cross and he did it for you and me so that we could know the grace of God, so that we could be in community, so that we could experience joy and take part in the mission of seeing God's grace reach the entire world. So I challenge you to join us uh, for Pray and Go in just just the coming weeks. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Uh, the Philippian Christians and their example from 2000 years ago. As, As so many things have changed throughout the years, so many things stay the same. And I pray, God, that we would be a church that loves one another. God, that we would be a church that reveals grace and joy, that we would be a church that advances the mission of God. Give us courage, give us boldness, and give us love. And we pray this.